The policeman who had brought him in drove him back to the docks. Michael learned later his name was Gillespie, and he'd grown up in the tenant, not far from where Michael lived. I was hard-headed growing up, always in trouble. At first it was just little things, petty theft, fighting, and causing a nuisance. I got taken in a couple of times, but it was always released. Then I started running around with the dead rabbits, and I thought I was tough. One night we decided to harass an old Negro for no other reason that we were bored and thought it would be fun. It was fun. That was until we danced off the dock and fell onto the street below. I will never forget the sound of his head hitting the pavement. We all scattered. Unfortunately, or should I say fortunately, I ran headlong into Father Ryan. You know how Father Ryan is. He knows when you've done something wrong just by looking at your face. Michael just nodded. If I hadn't run into him that night, I would have probably been in prison or worse by now. He got me going in the right direction. He taught me that we were responsible for what we do and that to blame someone else is just weak. If I could go back and change what happened that night, I would, but I can't. The only thing I can do is to live the rest of my life better. I thought by becoming a policeman, I could stop something similar from happening in the future. Michael was sure he was being told this story for a reason, but he was in no mood to listen. What was he was being asked to do was to be a snitch, and he was fully aware what would happen to him if he got caught. No, this situation was a disaster, and there was no way out. He didn't say anything to Katie when he got home. He just sat down in his chair. What's going on, Michael? Nothing. I've been burying you long enough to know when you're hiding something. Now what is it? Michael sighed and told her what he had done for Mr. Cole and the meeting with his honor. Michael finished his story and there was silence for what he thought was an eternity. I'm so sorry, Katie. I should have listened to you when you warned me about Mr. Cole. She didn't say anything when he was telling the story. Her only reaction was a shudder when he told her about beating the young man. Please say something, anything. I love you, Michael. God knows I do, and we'll figure this out together. But you need to promise me one thing. You will never hide something like this from me again. I, pr I promise. At first, Michael decided to provide just enough information to keep his honor satisfied. Quickly, though, Michael found two things about himself that those who knew him could have told him. First, he couldn't do anything halfway. The other thing was Michael was good at the job. He had the ability to blend into the background and observe the scene around him. Not only was he good at observing, but he could also remember what he saw. He had Katie write down what he remembered when he got home. He would then meet his honors men once a week to give them the information he had gathered. By 1863, the Civil War had been dragging on for over two years. The news of the battle in a small town in Pennsylvania called Gettysburg was still the talk of the area, especially as the list of the dead appeared in the newspapers and on the church bulletin boards. Everyone knew someone who had lost a son, brother, or father in the battle. Black was the color of the day. The colorful flowers in the market seemed out of place. 
Katie had commented that even the air felt black and heavy, as if death itself was pressing its hands down on everyone. How much has changed in three years? When the war first started, many of the men from the tenements had heard Lincoln's call and had volunteered in wake of the patriotic fever that had engulfed the North after the fall of Fort Sumter. Others joined because their friends were joining and they didn't want to miss out on the adventure. Even Michael almost got caught up in the fever until Katie reminded him that he had four growing children to take care of. Years later, he can remember standing there with Katie and the children, watching the men march by, being cheered by the crowd. A week ago, most of the people would have crossed the street to avoid half the men they're cheering now. Katie said, Yes, but now these men are heroes. I'm just wondering how many of these heroes will be returning home. Oh, the war shouldn't be last that long. A kind of newspaper a month at most. I pray you're right, but I'm afraid. Michael didn't say anything, but simply took Katie's hand in his. They both stood in silence as the last of the parade passed by. Unfortunately, Katie's premonition was right, and a month be soon became two months, then a year, and then another. Most of the men that had marched off that May day didn't return home, and many of those who did came back wounded both in body and mind. As the war dragged on and the death list got longer and longer, fewer men were willing to volunteer. The draft started, and as usual, the rich could buy their way out of the war. They avoided serving by having someone else take their place. They often paid men to find a replacement, and they weren't too particular on who it was or how he felt. It was mid-afternoon, and Michael was working the dock when he heard someone yell, The draft men are here! Men around Michael started to pick up anything that could be used as a weapon. Michael found a piece of wood and joined them as they headed toward his neighborhood, his anchor growing as the crowd around him grew. He finally came to the edge of the crowd that had gathered around a shop where he was told one of the federal draft men had barricaded himself. He was starting to search forward with the crowd when a hand pulled on him from behind. When he swung around, he was staring in the blue eyes of Hans the Butcher. Hans was a big man with thick arms and just as thick of a German accent. Yeah, I don't want to go that way. There's nothing but trouble that way and no good will come of it. I know I once went that way. At first, Michael was confused, but then he remembered that Hans had been in a similar riot back in his home country. Michael slowly lowered the piece of wood he was carrying, finally dropping it to the ground. He followed Hans back to the butcher shop, where they stood guard throughout the night. Finally, the next morning, Michael decided it was safe to head home. Thanks for keeping me out of trouble. It was no problem. One shouldn't, one mistake shouldn't ruin a good man's life. And you're a good man, my friend. Michael just laughed and shook Hans' hand as he left. As he walked down the street, he ran into Father Patrick. Where are you going, Michael? Home, Father. Good. Make sure you get there. I will, Father. Michael learned later that running into Father Patrick was no accident. The church had sent out prayers from all dioceses to calm their flocks 
and get the riders to go home. Their effort was successful and the city of Boston remained fairly calm. Unlike New York City, where the draft riots lasted four days, at least 120 men and women were killed.